Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing? So great to be with you. Now, I know there are immediate questions. There's no blue face paint. There's no kilt. Uh, there's no accent, and you don't want me to try. It comes out Jamaican. I don't know why. And I'll get to that in just a, a few moments. But I wonder, if you were to come to our house, my wife, she is an amazing host, amazing with hospitality. And one of the things that she is going to try to facilitate, she is going to try to get you to talk. No matter how many times, no matter how well we know you, we're going to ask you questions that are going to provoke you and force you to give an answer. And so we pull out like little cards, basically like you do with a middle school or a high school student to try to force them to talk. We'll play games like this or that, or would you rather... Anybody done any of this kind of thing? The would you rathers, we get the bizarre ones. Like we get the ones that were made for 12-year-old boys. I don't know why, uh, but you know, it's questions like, would you rather smell skunk every day for the rest of your life or have bees buzzing in your ears every day for the rest of your life? Can I choose C? Yes, by the way. But I wonder if, if I were to say to you, I would never finish that sentence. I would Never. Um, I don't know. How, how do you feel about what's going on in our world today as far as any, anybody taking the plane to Mars? Like if, if it gets to that and it becomes semi-affordable in our lifetimes, uh, I, I would never go to Mars. I would like to check that out. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Uh, I would never go skydiving. Is, is that true for anybody? Say, I would never jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Yeah, there, there's a few of you. I've actually done that tethered to another person who knew what they were doing. And uh, it, was, it was actually kind of awesome. Um, do they have college football in this part of North Georgia? Um, so I would never cheer for fill in the blank, all right? You know, I would never cheer for Clemson, sorry. So I want to talk about the Alabama thing for just a second. It's funny because I, I really do believe that the spirit of Antichrist is in Alabama. And so I understand that one. Revelation 13 says the beast will come from the sea. In the New Living Translation, it says roll tide. And so the, uh, you can look it up later on. I would never. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe make an exchange with I would never with three words that change everything. I've titled this message today, Three Words That Change Everything. And I really believe they can. Before we do that, I will just tell you a little bit more about who I am and uh, the amazing, my amazing family. This is them, the film on the screen. I picked the picture. None of them are probably gonna be happy with this. Maybe they're coming onto the screen and, and maybe not. They are very attractive people. There they are. Uh, that is my 20-year-old son, Will, on the left. My amazing wife of 25 years, Angela. And then my other son, my younger yet tallest son, is with me. We think still growing. Grew 13 inches during COVID, by the way. And uh, so it was, a, it was a long season for all kinds of reasons for him, but uh, he was sore the entire time uh, as his knees and everything was growing. But the, it's, we have this story of being in one place for nearly 25 years. God brought us to Georgia uh, right after we were married to plant Westridge, and I appreciate Pastor Jason's introduction. It made me sound really old, by the way. Yeah, they were part of the church that founded Revolution Church years and years ago. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's us. And God's done an amazing work in our life and called us to plant a church we've called Take Hold Church. 
And I just wanna say thank you for your partnership, for your generosity. Now, as you give to Revolution Church, you are part of expanding the gospel into a country that today is only 2% at most, one to 2% Christian. And uh, so we'll talk about that in, in just a few moments. The disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, wow, that was amazing in the room. The, the lights have come on, awesome. The, uh, <laughs> sorry, squirrel. All right, here we go. The disciples come to Jesus. All right, now they're messing with me. This is awesome. I feel like family for sure now. They say to him, increase our faith. And he gives them this response. Luke 17, six, the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of, a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Now, a couple of different gospel writers, three different gospel writers actually record this conversation. We're gonna to put together a little bit more of what Jesus says in just a moment, but it's this amazing statement. And Luke, who's writing, he says, the Lord said, the Lord, the creator, the one who spoke the world into existence, Jesus, he's here and he says, if you had just a little bit of faith, and I didn't even bother to bring one today, but you know, a mustard seed or a coriander, if you were to just to put it in between your fingers, you would barely be able to see it. And Jesus says, if you had that kind of faith, just a little bit of faith, you could say to a tree, get up and move. We know that he says, you, you can make mountains move. Why, with just this little bit of faith, and many of you may be thinking, I have this little bit of faith and I cannot make a mountain move. And I can't even grow anything in my garden, some of you are thinking, let alone. But the one weed that would take over, the one that would take over everything, you could say be uprooted and head on out of here. What is faith? Faith, here's my definition. Faith is wholehearted conviction in the unfailing love and power of God. Wholehearted conviction and the unfailing love and power of God. We don't have a whole lot of wholehearted in our culture anymore. We don't have a whole lot of I'm all in. Because what if I go all in and I find out that, that somebody did something they shouldn't have done and I've put my confidence in something that I shouldn't have. You don't have to worry about that with Jesus. You can be all in. Wholehearted conviction in the unfailing love and power of God. Yes, I believe the one in the one who stretched out his right hand and spoke the world into existence. I believe that he can do anything. I believe that he can move mountains. I believe that he can part the seas so we can walk right through it. I believe in the power of God, but I follow him, not because of how powerful he is, but because of his love. I follow him because of his love. He can be trusted and because he loved us first. He loved me first. And when you have faith in him and you put love and power together, you get transformation. Faith is the only way to meet fear. Without fear, there is no faith. faith uh, fear is not sin. Fear is an opportunity. In fact, fear oftentimes can be motivation. It's an opportunity to act activate your faith. Fear of failure is not sin, as long as it doesn't leave you stalled out and, and stuck somewhere. Fear of losing someone you love or losing a relationship is not the worst thing if it brings into clarity the things that you need to say and maybe should have said before now. Let me talk about another kind of fear that has been specifically on, on my heart. 
Fear of coming forward and taking something out of darkness and bringing it into light needs to be met with faith. Because faith is conviction, wholehearted conviction, and the love of God. And so many people remain stuck in their sin and they leave things in darkness and they leave things in hiding because they're afraid of what might happen when it comes into the light. Can I just tell you something? When it comes into the light, you will experience the love of God like you never have before. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why? Because of his love. My friend, I know that there are people in this room and watching who've got something hidden and you're just going along, going along further and further. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's anxiety and worry or depression and and you're just kind of keeping things just pushed down, but it's all right here. Can I just tell you, if you will bring it into the light, if if you will match your fear with just a little bit of faith, you will experience the love and power of God like you never have before because our faith is not about us. It's about him. Even saving faith is not about us. It's about him. That's why it doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away or how far gone you feel like you are, friend. You are never too far gone. For the love of God cannot reach you and bring you out. And if you will meet with him in faith today, you'll discover that like you never have before. So Jesus gives this little talk on faith. Why did the disciples ask Jesus to increase their faith? Well, because they had come down, it looks like if you put the gospel writers, right after the, put them together, right after Jesus had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the other disciples were trying to cast a a demon out of a, a young man who was having seizures. And the scripture says it was related to demonic activity and and so as, as that's going on, the, the disciples are not able to remove it. And so Jesus comes down, speaks to the, the father, and the father says, if you can, my son can be made whole. And Jesus just looks at him and says, did you just say if? Did you just say if to me? In a loving manner. And the, and the man says back to Jesus, he says, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? Friends, I want to help your unbelief today. And whatever fear it is that you need to match, God with faith, God wants to meet your unbelief. Jesus even adds to the phrase, he talks about that mustard seed again, and he says, all things will be possible for you. He can move you today from iffy faith to impossible faith. And that's what he wants to do. And then on the heels of that, Jesus tells his least popular parable. I'm not sure I have ever given a message on this parable. I've used it in illustrations. I'm not sure I've ever taught on it because this is not the one you teach to win friends and influence people. This is not the one you teach to make a good first impression or any impression. I love how how David put it last week, you know, the parable series, you can, it's great, gather around with Jesus on a beach, maybe with a campfire, such a, such a beautiful sight. Tell us more about 
the prodigal son, Jesus. Tell us more about the Good Samaritan. It's transformational. It, it, it's changed things in our world even to this day. This is not the one you'll ask him to tell. Luke 17, verse seven, now that you're so excited to hear it, says this. Jesus is talking entire time. He tells it, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he rather, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward, and afterward will you eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. His least popular parable, the parable of the unworthy servants. But right off the bat, I need to tell you that some of the language that Jesus uses in this parable has been a challenge for translators for a very long time. It even goes back to the Geneva Bible with heroes of the faith, people like John Knox and John Calvin. They even changed up some of the language that Jesus himself uses. Jesus uses a very clear word when he used, when, for the word servant in this story. It's actually not the word servant. In Greek, it's the word doulos. You would write it out if you're taking notes, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. It is and, is and always should be translated as a slave. But, even, but the translators now for hundreds of years have always had a problem with this because there's such a negative connotation with slavery. But that's the story that Jesus is telling. He's talking about someone who has no ownership rights over anything. They belong to someone else. The word for servant in the Greek is often translated as deacon. Anybody grow up in a little independent Southern Baptist church? Anybody have deacons? Your uncle, your grandpa, your whoever was, was deacons. We love the deacons. Those are the servants. The word literally means it has this word picture in it of someone who's running around back and forth kicking up dust. All right? If you're serving at Revolution Church, and I hope you are using your spiritual gifts, there's a lot of times where you're running around kicking up dust. There, there are people who served with the students this week that they spent a lot of time running around kicking up dust, probably cleaning up dust, and all of, all of those kinds of things. That is the, the image of a servant. A servant has a choice. A slave does not. A servant says, my pleasure. May I refresh your beverage? Yes, you may. I'm so grateful for you. A slave says, no, not my pleasure. It's my obligation. It's my assignment. Serving is temporary. Slavery is permanent. It's no wonder why so many believers would just rather do stuff versus giving over every area of our lives. But that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us to do in this parable. The Apostle Paul identifies himself this way many, many times, a bondservant of Jesus. In other words, I have willingly laid down my life. I've given up my rights to everything, my comfort, my resources, my plans, my future, my marriage, my kids. It all belongs to Jesus. It's all, it's all his. I am not an owner. I have no rights over anything. See, spiritual formation is not about becoming it's not about doing, it's about becoming. Let me say it again the right way so you can get it right and I can get it right. Spiritual formation is not about doing. 
It's about becoming. That's why sooner or later, hopefully, been married 25 years now, hopefully now, I put the dishes away without having to make sure my wife knows about it. Honey, could you please do cartwheels for me again and clap for me? I just, I just put the dishes away, babe. No, you know that you're growing spiritually when you don't need a medal every time you do something but rather you are becoming what Jesus gave his life for you to become. Someone who has no rights to anything, someone who says, God, every area of my life is yours. That's the attitude of the slave. And Jesus in the teaching, I, I gotta say, you're not just a slave in this teaching, unworthy servant, unneeded slave. Thanks for coming to the teaching. Have a great week, everybody. Yeah, I mean, this, this language feels a little bit harsh. And then he goes on to describe the day that this person's had. Like, they, they've been out doing back-breaking work. I mean, they've got dirt under their, their fingers. They've been sweating. It's, it's been a hot day. Most of the, a lot of the parables that Jesus tells in this agricultural community, I mean, they would be picturing working outside in the Middle East heat and the, and the sweat pouring down their head and, and just, they've had a very hard day and now they come in and it's time for the master to eat. Um, is the master supposed to then say, oh, I'm so sorry, you work so hard all day. No, rather your job is not done yet. You've still got to tend to what the master requires, which in this case is, is food and clean clothes, hot meal, and then we'll talk about, are, are you gonna eat? The master doesn't really care. This parable is not about the master. Now you understand Jesus in a lot of his parables uses some crazy extremes to make a point. And the point that he is making here is about the attitude of the slave. It's not, I have to do the work. It's, I get to do the work. The work is a privilege. The things I get to do are a privilege. I get to serve my master. I don't want him to find somebody else to do the things that he has put on my life to do. You say, does, does God need me? Unworthy servant? I don't know, but he sure wants you. He sure created you because he loves you, because he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. I'll tell you, he's got plans for this world, and you can either step into them or he will find someone who will. And the invitation is there to say, it's not about what I'm gonna do for him, it's about who he is. I will maintain my focus on being obedient to the master and owner. In the kingdom of God, the selfless, unworthy servant attitude should be an obvious trait for a Christian, should be an obvious trait for a church. So I love what, what Revolution is doing right now, what you're doing with Give a Kid a Chance. What an amazing thing. What an amazing way to put the towel over your arm for families in the community, to serve them so that the ones who are trying to decide right now between prescriptions and backpacks don't have to make that kind of choice, but rather they get the opportunity to send their kids on 
with dignity, with their, with their heads held up high and their shoulders back because they've got the most awesome backpack in the sixth grade and it's full of stuff. What an amazing way. That should be an obvious trait for a church. What do we know about that church? They've got incredible worship. They've got an awesome pastor. But man, does that church make a difference in that community. We don't know where we would be in Canton and Jasper without them. Servant is someone who's hired to do something. A slave is someone who is owned. A slave doesn't have the option to say no, but a servant can refuse. I want to give you three words that I think describe the attitude that Jesus is trying to get us to as we grow as disciples, as we grow in spiritual maturity. I got to tell you, I previously... I'm constantly examining this now. I'm not perfect. I had several I would nevers. Do you have any I would never things with God? Well, of course not. Especially not on Sunday morning. No, of course not. Now, I don't mean that you like balled your fist up and shook it in the sky and said, God, I would never. I don't mean that kind of rebellion. I mean, for some of you, that's your story. That, that really is. And I didn't have that kind of thing, but I did say to God, I would never plant a church. I, I, I told him that was our deal. At least I thought it was a deal. I mean, I was already a part of a church planting team. 1997, I moved from Virginia to Dallas, Georgia. I didn't even know there was a Dallas, Georgia. I was 21 years old. I wasn't old enough to drive the rental truck. My mom drove the rental truck behind me. God, I've already done this. God, I would never plant a church. God, I would never ask friends and family and other churches to give money that at least part of it helps support my livelihood. God, I like a predictable paycheck. I like being in a place where they give offerings every week we can count on. I would never ask people for money that way. God, I would never be a missionary those people are awesome, good for them. I would never do that. A few years ago, God began to stir and talk to me about my I would nevers. And one of the things that he began to do in my life was, and some of you have walked this road before, he began to stir up in me, hey, where you are is not always where you're going to be. Which, by the way, isn't that a beautiful thing in the, in the kingdom of God? Isn't that a beautiful thing in your relationship with Jesus? I don't care if you're six or 60 or 90. I, I don't care where you are is not where God wants you to be. He's always taking us a little bit further, isn't he? But this was a real stirring. And I talked with my pastor, also my boss about it, and just said, you know, I'm not sure what's happening here. I don't know what God is doing and I prayed, I prayed, and I would seek him, and I've got my little routine. I've got my, my Bible. I've got my, a, a journal, a writing tablet. I've got a copy of Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. It, I've had it since my grandparents gave it to me when I was 16. My sons give me a hard time. They're like, Dad, haven't you memorized that thing yet? But I haven't. I'm, I just keep, I keep reading it every year, and, and just fresh and new. And I had a moment with God where I was at my routine, stepping to the kitchen counter, 
and I just felt completely overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. And instead of doing my routine, I could only get out three words. My brain was just swimming and I could only get out three words. And friends, they are three words that will change everything. In fact, they are three words that I believe some of you today need to exchange your I would never for these three words. God, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Now, in the back of my head, I'm still thinking, yeah, but we know that I'm not gonna church plant, raise money, be a missionary. I'll be a janitor, I'll, I'll be whatever, God. God, whatever, it completely changed. No, God, it's all on the table. Whatever you want. At Westridge, we had started going back and forth to Scotland back in 2017. And we were meeting with pastors there and Pastor Brian Beloy at Westridge, he would, he would bring me along with him and Pastor James Griffin, some, many of you know at Cross Point City down in Cartersville. We were going back and forth. We would bring other pastors along. We'd bring them along to meet some of the the great men and women there in Scotland and, and to try to build relationships there and to see if we can maybe help e equip a little bit. But we began to learn things about Scotland we didn't know. This country that, that has had more revivals than any other country in the world. They've sent out more missionaries than any other country in the world. They used to be called the land of the book because more than 70% of the people were in church several hundred years ago. We learned that today there is only one to 2% Christian in the country. Several things have happened historically that caused a decline and then just a drop off a cliff. And friends, when the gospel was not prevalent in a community, the things, the, the issues that communities and cultures deal with, they get higher and more intense than just about anywhere I've ever been in the world. Mental health issues off the chart, Scotland leads Europe in drug deaths, not per capita. They just have the most, and they're a small country, only about five and a half million people. City of Dundee, not the crocodile, that's another part of the world, but the city of Dundee has more unwed teen pregnancies than any other city in Europe. The list goes on and on and on and on, and we're meeting people who we love who've got the most amazing sense of humor. Sarcasm is not just a spiritual gift, it's like a trait that just everybody has. And they mostly speak English. I say mostly because there's some times where it's as hard to understand someone with a Scottish accent as it is to understand somebody in Valdosta. It's like, <laughs> I don't know why I pulled Valdosta out of the hat, but. It's like, God, I know this person is speaking English, but it's, you're, I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Like, I need a translate the tongues moment here, God. I've been going back and forth, and I've given God my whatever you want. And then one day, I still get choked up. That's crazy. It's happened a few years ago now. And then one day, I was minding my own business, mowing my grass. And I'm in the front yard. Beautiful day, one of those incredible Georgia days, not a cloud in the sky. And to me, it was like, a, it was like somebody hit a dimmer switch, sort of like what happened in the room here just a little bit ago. And I looked up and there's 
nothing there. And as my gaze came back to the ground in my mind's eye, and in my mind's eye only, of course, the ground was completely dark. And I just sensed the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, would you just be still? You're standing in Edinburgh. And across your driveway, there's St. Andrews. Guys, I'll, I'll get you there if you come. There's Aberdeen, there's Inverness, there's Dundee. There's Sterling. Over your shoulders, Glasgow. And in my mind's eye, little lights begin to come on in the dark. One at a time. In every city. And I just sense the Lord say, I want you to turn the lights on. Friends, I don't tell you this story because it's common, it's strange, and it's vulnerable for me to tell it. And I'm also not telling it because I'm a super Christian and this is how God talks to super Christians. No, I'm one of those people that God has to smack on the head or write it in the sky before I make a move. You say, what did you do? I didn't tell my wife because I wanted to stay married. So I just kept mowing the grass. I'm talking with God the entire time and it began a prayer journey for me and journey I began to share with my wife and share with my sons who are now 20 and 17. They were younger at the time. We just told them everything in real time as it was happening. Just said, guys, we don't think we're going to live in this community forever anymore. Of course, they've got things going in their minds about their friendships, the things they're involved with, the people they love as well. Guys, as, as a dad, just to bring them right into it. To be open-handed with everybody in my family. My, my wife and I were together. Marriage is great, but she was not on the same page as I was in. And I got some advice from a friend that said, let her pray about it. Let her talk to Jesus. Because in December and January, when it's dark at 3.30, and you haven't seen the sun in about two weeks because it's cloudy every day, and it's raining most of those days. You don't want her to come to you and say, I can't believe you brought me here. You want her to go to Jesus and say, I can't believe you brought me here. But my wife came on board. My sons at the age that they're in, we just left it up to them. And you want to talk about open-handed as a dad. Crazy. As one at a time, they said, Dad, we believe God, I believe God wants me to go along. And so together, we actually just moved this last January. I talked with Pastor Jason. We're, we're home right now because of an immigration trip. We had to leave the country. We're immigrants to the UK. So we had to leave to get our, our visas sorted. I'm, I'm flying back tomorrow. We're doing another outreach this week. God's provided a church for us to meet in. We're going to be renting a space, a church called St. Stephen's Church in northern Edinburgh, Hasn't had an active congregation in five or six decades. It's a ballet studio today. About 50 students use it during the week. That's not why I walked in there. We were standing in it the first time taking a tour and lights pouring in the window. And my wife said, babe, one day light's going to be going out of the windows. As we shine the gospel into this community. Would you be willing to say, God, whatever you want? And can I add another prayer to that? 
God, put me wherever I can best serve your kingdom. Even if it doesn't make sense to me. And can I tell you the overwhelming feeling that I've had during this? Not the only feeling, but the overwhelming feeling. Even for something that was out of the box for our family. Just peace. It's just he's got us. Friends, today, this is not a call to missions. It might be for somebody. This just is an invitation to exchange some of your language with God, to exchange some of your identity with God, to say, God, whatever you want. He may not want you to go across the ocean, but he might want you to go across the street. He might want you to go down the hall, cross the hall. He might want you to pick up the phone. He might want you to demonstrate his kindness, the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. He might have something that he has given you, put on your heart to do, something for his kingdom, something that would expand his kingdom, and you haven't done it yet, and it's been on your mind for months and months, maybe even years. Friends, can I tell you, if you will match your fear with faith in him, he will move mountains for you. Oswald Chambers says he will tax the last grain of sand and the remotest star to bless us if we obey him. I love that. Let me give you a parable from the Old Testament. Solomon writes this one. He says, Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse 13 says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. Would you be willing to exchange your name for his? For not believing that you are the headline of your life, but that he is the headline of your life. What if they don't remember you? What if they remember the God in you? What if they don't remember you, but they know that you have been with Jesus? There's another parable you're gonna hear a little bit about later this summer, so I'm not gonna take the whole parable, but I'm gonna borrow one phrase. You've been in church very long. You've heard it before. You've even heard it maybe as the goal of something you want to hear when one day you move into the presence of Jesus. He says this, Jesus is telling another parable. He says, his master says to this person in this parable, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Can I mess with your translation just a little bit again? What do you think he said? Well done, good and faithful slave. Doulos. That's what he said. You see, it's not about how much you can do, but it's about who you're becoming. Is Christ being formed in you? Is he living his life through you? 
Would you be okay to be nothing more than a drop in the bucket so that others could know the master? Would you be okay to be an unworthy slave? Serving him not because you have to, but because you get to. Sharing his love because he first loved you and everyone that you'll ever come in contact with. Would you be willing to say to him with open hands and an open heart, God, whatever you want this day and every day. Would you bow your heads with me? Whenever we have this moment at the end of a service, sometimes even mixed into the worship, just take a moment to respond, child of God, perhaps to what the Holy Spirit has said to you in just the last little bit. You're not responding to me, you're responding to God's word. Spirit meets with each of us as if there's only one of us. If you were to say right now, God, whatever you want, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing. Don't say, no, God, not that one. Next one. No, no, no. What's the first thing? God, whatever you want. For some of you, what God wants today is he wants to move you forward by bringing what's been hidden in darkness into the light. It's heavy on my heart today, I don't know why. Someone is stuck in either sin or shame or guilt or all of the above, and can I just tell you, friend, God loves you, people of this church love you, and you will know freedom like you've never known before if you'll come forward today. Prayer counselors spread across the room. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you say, I know I'm unworthy. I know that I've done awful things. There's no way that God would be willing to have me come. Friends, your faith is not even about you. It's about him. And if you will move towards him, if you will receive salvation today and you receive this Holy Spirit, you become an adopted son or daughter of God and everything begins to change. That's you today. If you say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus, you can just pray right now in your own words. You can pray, Father, God came to church today. I almost didn't. It was raining I didn't expect to pray today, but God, here I am. In this moment, I say yes to you. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, for everything that I've ever had or ever will have in darkness. The light has come and he's risen from the dead that I might take hold of life that's truly life. If that's you today, would you just slip a hand up in this room, wherever you're watching from, just slip a hand up. 
Someone's gonna come meet you, got a gift for you, help you know what to do after the service in order to take your next step. Father God, what a great privilege to partner with this great church. God, you've placed Revolution Church in an area so full of growth, so full of potential. God, you are bringing the people here and we're inviting them. It's all happening at the same time. God, there's a, there's a limitless future for this community, God. And as we go, let us always say whatever you want. Because that way, Jesus, you can fulfill your promise to build the church in ways we never saw coming. Jesus, do it. Do miracles. And we'll proclaim your fame. In Jesus' name we pray.